the art of self-reliance is forging your own path, but the path is difficult. Made easier by learning from those who have succeeded in directing their own lives on their own terms. With their help and inspiration, your path to self-reliance moves from dream to reality. And now, here's your host, Dr. Rodney King. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Art of Self-Reliance podcast. In this episode, I speak to philosopher Tim Frick. Tim is a pioneering philosopher whose best-selling books, inspirational talks, and life-changing events have touched the hearts and minds of hundreds of thousands of people worldwide. In this episode, we discuss understanding the nature of existence, spiritual awakening, and evolving from individuals into individuals. The art of self-reliance calls you to adventure, to develop your self-protection skills, to learn how to survive no matter where you find yourself, and to thrive amongst life's chaos. So Tim, I'm sure you'll have something to say about this. Um, When you hear the words self-reliance, what does that mean to you? It means autonomy, I think, Rodney. It means that everything in the whole universe has been becoming more and more individual, including human beings. Um, And we have been through this immense period of individuality, of individualism, where we're becoming more and more thinking for ourselves, acting for ourselves, uh, and less unconsciously part of a herd or a tribe, um, even though, of course, we can still be that. Um, And self-reliance, I think, is for me, is a, a virtue of autonomy that that I, I need to take responsibility for my own life, my own journey, and all that that means. That doesn't mean I, don't, I also feel very interconnected, um, but there's also, I'm also independent. And being able to own that is a huge jump, actually. Do you think it's important? Self-reliance? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, I do. Yeah. It's, uh, I think it's a foundation, and I think you grow into it. Um, I mean, literally. I mean, that's, you know, I'm a parent. My, my kids have pretty grown up now, um, just in the process of really finding themselves. And part of that is a slow, steady movement into self-reliance in a very obvious way. But, you know, financial self-reliance and all that. But also self-reliance in themselves. So that when, when you're young, you're constantly in reference to those who support you. And increasingly, you take that on yourself. We're still, obviously, no one's totally self-reliant. And that would be a horrendous thing, actually, and very sad. But um, being able to own your own self. And, 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 and especially when it becomes not like just self, that self-reliance, that you're able to look into your own psyche and to understand that you have the power of choice, not only what you do, but also who you are, how you set yourself up, how the algorithms that run your nature, as it were, play out, and that you can take responsibility for changing those. So, you know, I'm I'm seen as a kind of spiritual something or the other. Um, And a, a lot of that is to do with taking responsibility for your own psyche. 
I think there's often a perception, right, when we talk about self-reliance, that really what we are saying is this kind of extreme position on individualism where it's all about us, almost as if it's a sense of narcissism that is underlining this thing. But I don't think that's what it is, right? And I think you're kind of hinting to that, but maybe you, we can explore that a little bit further insofar as, as you understand it. Totally right, Ronnie. And, 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 and you see that in, in, well, in lots of ways, you see it played out politically and you see it played out in psychology. Whereas actually, for me, the two go together, that the, we are in the process of individuating. That's what's been happening, like I said, throughout the whole of the evolution of history, actually. And the, that, but, and, but that process doesn't stop us becoming more connected. In fact, actually increases one's ability to have compassionate connection by becoming more of an individual. And becoming more of an individual is really owning, uh, is self-reliance. It's, it's, it's actually autonomy or one's own inner resilience. And, and then through that, I think we can then choose to really respect those compassionate uh, connections, that communion, that you're not actually only an individual. You're actually an individual in communion with the rest of reality, but particularly other people. Um, and so that, so compassion and self-reliance to me are like two sides of one coin. They're not, they're not in opposition to each other. They're utterly uh, complementary. That's beautiful. Yeah. Because that's the way that I see it too. And I'm just, as you were saying that I was thinking, you know, one of the things that I've realized in my own life is when I talk about self-reliance, it's a, a really pinnacle aspect of what I'm about is that what it's allowed me to do by understanding myself, you are then, as you know, it's more compassionate to other people. And I think that's really important is that you have your own center, your own, you know, where you are going, your own compass, right? Because if you don't know that and you're all over the place, then you easily swayed. And I think it's quite important to have that grounding so that you, when you move from that place, you're actually able to understand other people because you've taken the time to understand yourself. And I think a lot of times people are just running away from themselves, not wanting to look in, you know, behind the curtains, running from their shadows and never dealing with the real problems that, that are held within themselves and not realizing that if they go down that road, they go into the darkness on the other side of the darkness is the light. Yeah. I mean, there's a huge amount of that in the spiritual world that I tend to exist in a huge amount what you know, the spiritual bypassing someone called it and that's a great name for it because you it, you use spirituality as a way of avoiding that you know or just surrender just accept it all it's like it sounds good and there is a there is wisdom in there but it's but it easily slips into a kind of escapism or avoidance rather than actually an engagement so i i completely agree with you so it seems to me that we are in the process i mean there's a there's a section at the end of my book my latest book soul story where i explore exactly this how we we exist in unconscious collectives and part of our individuation is to is to start is autonomy this word you know to 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 stand i mean autonomy means that you are you have your own center, as you put it. You, you are you're your own self. And that, I think, is key because what I witness is if we don't have that, we literally get pulled wherever the herd goes. And that you see everywhere. So the herd's frightened, I'm frightened. The herd's angry, I'm angry. The herd is you know, optimistic, oh, I'm optimistic. And, you know, and of course, it's lovely when it's optimistic, not so good when you're frightened or angry. Um, uh, but actually, if you, if you want to play a role, not only for your own life, but collectively, if you want to be able to, to actually choose 
the direction you want to go and the direction you want the collective to to go you have to be able not to get pulled in every direction that the herd moves you have to be able to to choose your own direction and that's how people can become a a, a leader of the situation rather than just a victim of it so that's a really good segue in some of the points we said we would talk about this is a huge subject here i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna sit back and see you tackle this <laughs> When we talk about understanding the nature of existence, what do you mean by that? Because, you know, what is existence? Well, I'm, you know, I'm a philosopher, but I try and keep things really related to life. And I, I'm only a philosopher because every morning, Rodney, I wake up and this is happening. And it seems profoundly mysterious. And I think there's a moment, uh, you know, where you really notice that. I noticed it very young. Some people, it's much later. But sooner or later, something happens and you, you break out. It's, it's a level of actually the very process we've been talking about, of individuating, because you exist within a bubble of ideas which you've inherited from your culture, your schooling, your parents, thing, the books you've read. And that's fine. You need that. But at a certain point, you recognize that. Oh, hang on. I'm interpreting this thing that's happening to me as if I know what it is. Do I? Does anyone? And then suddenly you're aware of how profoundly mysterious life is. And all those things that you've seen on documentary problem, pro programs about there being 100 billion galaxies through 100 billion stars and everything. Suddenly it's like, oh my God. And then, of course, the existence of death and just, just how, just that we are here. So that's my... That's what, by existence, I just mean what is. This is. What is it? How can we understand it? And that's what, well, my, my, there's kind of two sides, I, th I would say, to what I've been doing. One is how can I experience it in the deepest possible way? And how can I understand it in the deepest possible way? And they play into each other. The deeper my understanding, the deeper the experience. The deeper experience, the more I'm pushed to a deeper understanding. How do we make sense of that, though? Because as we've been talking about, right, we're talking about getting pulled by the herd. And there are a lot of opinions out there and a lot of positions out there. And, you know, one person says this, the other person says that, you know, research comes out, makes this point next year, research comes out. No, that's no longer valid. This is something new. So I guess there's a lot of things vying for our attention. And sometimes it can be really difficult talking about that center. I think that's part of it, right? If, if I want to get to grips with what this experience is, I need to find, that center. And the only way that I can think about it is this moment of stillness, the still point where I'm able to just be with what is happening around me without having judgment laid on everything and just being aware of the experiences that I'm having as it unfolds. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of like what I feel sometimes is needed. And I, oftentimes where I find that the most compelling, especially now uh, I said to you earlier that I'm on the Isle of Man, there are beautiful spaces here. And I know you've been here before. And so when you go out for a walk and you're just out there in, in the middle of nowhere and there's nobody else around you and you're just with yourself and you're just fully there, you start to realize that how much of your time is based on judging every experience. And you never get to that point where you're just present, just with it, without having to explain it. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing. And, and part of what I do is to, is to teach that. And it's certainly been a huge feature. So the, my, my life, I think lives often do form into chapters. I don't know why. Um, but well, maybe I do know why, but they do. And uh, so there's been chapters in my life, which have been totally like that. I mean, like 
nothing but that for a year. Um, and, and then other periods where it's been more about, okay, all right, now, given that, how can I make sense of this? How can I bring meaning to this or, or, or find the meaning in it? And they both seem really valuable and they both require each other, I think, to work, like a lot, all these opposites. So how do you, uh, but the question you raised, uh, so, so part of it, I think, yes, stilling down, um, being able to doubt one's, what the ideas one has and the ideas of one culture, especially one's favorite ideas, really valuable thing to do. Um, and to be open and to value rationality. And, and rationality for some people has got a very bad name because it's kind of associated with a kind of very closed down, I don't know, reductionist science that goes, everything's really just atoms. And I don't know, I don't really love my life. It's just, it's just chemicals in my body or, you know, all of that, but it's not. Rationality is the thing we use to have good reasons. So when you're looking at it, it's like, well, have I got a good reason for believing that? Or is that person got a good reason for believing that? And what constitutes a good reason? And that really, so that, that's a really, really valuable asset. But then the other thing we have is intuition. And the intuition is often, you know, is, is a, it's a, it, I'm not someone who thinks, you know, just be intuitive, because I don't think that works either. I think we need to be intuitive and then think rationally about it. We've got both. Again, it's not one or the other, it's both. And the intuition, I think, is the thing which we can rely on. It's, if you really learn to listen to it, it's hard because there's also prejudice and, and all sorts of other things which you can mistake for that deeper voice. But that helps you find your way through all the shouting voices because um, you'll find the ones that speak to you. You'll go, oh, hey, something about that person or that woman or that man. I, I'm, there's something there for me. Like you do with friends. I mean, there's no difference, isn't there? You know, in a crowded room, and you're, you know, or, or like my daughter has just got to university and there's all these people and one or two of them will become your friends and you'll find them and you'll know. And the same, I think, with the people who, who ideas, it's like, no, those are the ideas I need to explore next. And you follow them and they'll lead beyond, but always be ready to let them go. Unlike friends, which hopefully you don't need to do that with ideas. There's always something around the next corner. So I, I spend a huge amount of my time, um, doubting my own ideas in a constructive way and i've just made a video actually going why i was wrong about a key idea that's under my underlined most of my books but i've come out now and gone do you know what i think that's wrong and then something better arrives yeah i want to talk about that in a second but before we get there so i think that's important right for people listening to this is that um that juxtapose between the rationality as you described and intuition this is just my personal experience is that in order to access that intuition, at least in my life, I've found that the place that it happens for me is when I am in those moments of just, we can call it stillness, but maybe even better, just being centered without judging the experience, just being fully immersed within what is happening without having to create a narrative of a story around it. That's where I feel intuition arises for me. Then of course, you know, from that, then you can reflect on it and you can say, okay, you know, is this, is this real? Is this how I'm experiencing it? you can have that conversation and then it gives you a different perspective because you didn't just start from a point of judgment. I think what's happening and what I notice with a lot of people is that maybe it's not the right kind of rationality, but we do seem to be heavy head laden where we are just con con continuously in our conversations in our head. And we never get to the point where we actually have this reprieve where we are able to step out of it. And I think that's where I see a lot of people 
kind of faltering is that it's very easy then to go off on tangents and go down different rabbit holes. But I think there is something to be said about invoking that intuition from a place where there is no judgment and then having the conversation afterwards. And maybe then we can describe it more of a bottom up kind of pers- uh, you know, perspective rather than just a purely top down, which is what I think a lot of people tend to get fixated on. Yeah, I, I think most of the conversations we have in our head are very rarely rational. Um, and if we thought about them rationally, we would stop having them because often they're just circular, repetitive. You know, thinking is a wonderful thing. You know, amazing that we've developed the ability to think. You know, we're obviously doing it right now together and hopefully anyone who's listening to this is going, oh, that made me think. That's a wonderful thing. But I mean, when we're thinking to ourselves, it is, it's really imagining speaking, isn't it? You know, we're just speaking with no one else there. And I spend a lot of my time doing that. And the key thing is what you're imagining saying. It's a bit like this conversation. I'm really enjoying it. It's thoughtful. It's inquiring. But we could be having a very different sort of conversation, which was not, which was like, oh, Rodney and Tim always go around that circle and end up feeling falling out or whatever it is. And you can do that with yourself. So it's the content, which is the key thing. And what the silence and the non-judgment does is it gets you a chance to come out of the habitual content. You know, personally, I find intuitions come then. But if I'm honest, they also come in the shower after my first coffee in the morning, um, if I'm into coffee at the time. Um, think, you know, just in excitable states. And there's all sorts of places. But, but the key thing is, the thing you said about, which is the same is wherever it comes from or whatever works for you don't don't be so stuck in the way that you're already seeing things that you can't see this new thing arise so i'm i i've written a lot of books i used to be a musician wrote a lot of music so i spent my life being creative and what i've learned from that is create and then criticize and you have to criticize you have to edit it. You have to know what's good. You have to be quite clear with yourself. But don't do that when you're creating because you will just kill it dead. Just let it out. Let the ideas flow. Let the intuition, and then go through them and go, that was the good one. Not so much those. <laughs> and, and so there's always that, like walking, it's like, it's a, what I call paralogical, not monological. It's not just this, this, this. It's like, no, you need both. Always need both. Yeah, I love that. I mean, talking from my own creative experience, I, you know, I come from a martial arts background and that's what I'm known for and what I've done most of my life. And I've taught you know, tens of thousands of people around the world. And that's one of the things I'm always trying to get across to them is that you have to get out of your own way to have the experience you really want to have and just have that experience, just go into it without worrying about consequences and then afterwards reflect on it because it's our expectations of what we want that causes our, our problems. It causes us from getting to the point of just having the full realization. We become our own worst enemy. So what you're saying there, I think is very useful, right? Just immerse yourself in an experience, just be fully in it. And then afterwards you can unpack it and say, well, you know, that didn't work so well. This worked really well. And then you can use that to re-strategize the next time you find yourself in a similar position. Exactly that in, in whatever you're doing. I mean, I was talking about with creativity, you, you were in a different situation, but actually just in everyday life, it's, it's exactly the same. And, and that, that ability to, um, you know, it, everything comes from the past. I'm fascinated by time. And it, what fascinates me is that this moment arises from the last moment and the last moment and the last moment. And so each moment contains within it implicitly everything that's ever been. 
And I think that's what forms identity of everything, but including us. So right now, everything that Rodney's ever been is meeting everything that Tim's ever been. And that's a great thing because it gives me an identity and you an identity. I do these funny things with my hands. I speak with this accent. You have a different accent because of a different past, all the rest of it. But it's so, and it's a foundation. It means that I have this information. You ask me a question. I have some hopefully wisdom I've built up over all of these decades and I can draw on it. But it's also a limitation because if I don't realize that each new moment is a new possibility, it's not, it will repeat the old, but never in the same way. And that therefore each moment is a creative, it, that each moment's a com combination of the past and the possible. That's what the present is. And, and, and so the stepping into what we've been calling the intuition or that openness allows the possibility of something emergent, something which has never, you've never seen before, maybe that no one's ever seen before. And that's, that's the cutting edge of, for me, the whole process of what we're in. You said, what's existence? And my current work is around evolutionary theory, bringing together science and spirituality with evolutionary theory. And I would say, look, we've had 14 billion years in which the past has constantly given birth to a new presence, which has got us from a universe which is pretty much nothing but hydrogen and helium to you and me having this conversation. That's still going on right now. So if you come into the moment and just repeat, 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 there's not much emergence. But if you come into the moment and you're open and you allow that same creativity that, that, that powers the universe to come through you, then, wow, you can really be shocked by what emerges. So I was just thinking there when you were saying about history, right? So we're all part of our history. And I came from a really tough upbringing. And it took me a really long time to really figure out that the way that I responded to situations wasn't because I was responding to that situation based on who I feel I am now, but it was based on who I was. And so I can go back all the way back into my childhood and I can see these triggers, you know, why I respond in a certain way. And I think that's very powerful because it, it comes back to who's one of my all-time favorite authors, Viktor Frankl, where he talks about man's ability, his last freedom to choose his own set of, you know, his given attitude in his set of circumstances, right? And I think that's beautiful is that I get to choose in that moment in time how I'm going to respond. And I think that's really important is that you have to be able to see how your history finds its way into your immediate, immediate life and your immediate experience. And once you understand that, then you have a choice to change it. But too often people are just responding just purely out of reaction. They don't really get to the bottom of what's actually going on and why they respond that way. And I think they don't fully understand their triggers. And I think that's, that's crucial that you see that how your history informs your present moment. Yeah. I think it's a good definition of wisdom, Rodney. You know, it's like the ability, I, th I was thinking of the Eleusis all the way back in the ancient world, know yourself, Gnothi Seton. It's like, if you don't, and it takes, I mean, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm 61 now, unbelievably. It feels very strange to say that, but it's true. And I'm seeing things about myself still every week, which I'm, I'm shocked. It's kind of humiliating in a way. <laughs> it's kind of like, wow, I'm only seeing this now. That's incredible, but also exciting because then it becomes possible that I can experience life in a new way. And I just see no end to it because I am my past. And I, there's, I can make stuff more and more conscious. And, you know, one thing I noticed when my father died, wherever that was 10 years ago, was how 
it triggered in me looking back at how I was as a, as a young man and a teenager and seeing it in a completely different light. Just like, oh, right, okay. <laughs> uh, I'd heavily romanticized that, hadn't I? And, and, and just, but the wisdom that allowed me to, to come from it was, was worth the, the temporary feeling of, you know, one has, my, my own feeling is that I've developed, I, I started out wanting to be right and now I enjoy being wrong. Because every time I'm wrong, I learn something. And that is very exciting. So speak to me about your change on what you used to believe and what you believe now. Because I you know you did a video on it, but a lot of people are not going to know what that is. So give us the cliff notes version, version of it. Okay, well, it's, it's, a, it's a big subject. But I mean, the, the key to it is that in, um, in spiritual philosophy, there's an idea that everything exists in consciousness, that there's a thing called consciousness, and this is like a dream in consciousness. And, I, and that's a metaphysics that I've been exploring in a lot of my books. And we find the opposite metaphysics often associated with science, which is uh, everything is matter or everything is an object and our subjectivity has arisen from that. So there's a kind of a, a subjective based spirituality or an objective based science. And I want to bring those two together. And I think the way to bring them together is to find a different route altogether for understanding. And so the big change for me has been going, I don't think it does all exist in consciousness. I think consciousness appears to be something which has emerged with life, which is what science would say, but that um, a lot of the ideas which are central to spirituality still hold and that we can see um, that everything is, is, everything has this one quality of being and it's in this process of becoming that we call evolution. And that's what the universe is. And we are here at the end of it. And with us, it has become not only uh, physical matter, but life, and not only life, but psyche. This invisible world that you and I are com communicating in right now, which doesn't exist in space, which isn't made of matter, it's full of ideas and memories and stories. And that's, that's the latest thing that's, that's arisen in this 14 billion year old process. Um, so I think we can still, that's what spirituality is concerned with, and I think we can still have that. Um, so I'm, I'm, what, I'm what I'm doing really is I'm saying, look, um, spirituality, can you not see that, that, that this world, this world of the psyche, this world, the psyche is just Greek for soul. So for, for spirituality, often it's called the soul, but it's the same thing. It's the non-material realm. Everyone's experiencing it. In spirituality, you get this idea. It's always been there. In fact, it's a whole world we've fallen from. And I'm going, look, no, do you know what? I think that idea is not, we've, it's now we need to understand it in an evolutionary way. But to science, I'm saying, look, with this evolution, don't stop it at life. Don't go, yeah, the universe evolved and then life evolved and then, oh, this funny byproduct called the psyche. No, that's a whole realm of reality. Uh, and that's what spirituality has been exploring forever. And, and, um, uh, and this new... Uh, philosophy which i call individualism is about bringing those together so when then when we're talking about consciousness if we go back to whatever that is i mean obviously the, the, everybody has a different viewpoint in this but let's say there was a starting point what has consciousness become over time then so what are we saying here is it something that started somewhere at some point that's not what we see it right now and it's evolving into what we experience it now into almost a higher order of consciousness i, I think consciousness is not a thing it's an activity okay um, and I think that's been the thing which has been confusing. 
So, in, and also, well, there's, a, there's, a, there's a root problem straight away, is that consciousness, as you said, used, that word is used in lots of different ways, but what's really confusing is it's used in opposite ways. So some people mean by consciousness, everything you're conscious of. That's your consciousness. And then other people mean by consciousness, especially in spirituality, some pure existence, a kind of a presence, which is just pure consciousness, just knows it exists within which, as you say, everything's happening. And that's the issue that I'm, that's the thing that I'm, I've, I used to say, and I, and I no longer, I no longer do. And I mean, I'm happy to go through why, but that's the key shift. So what, what is consciousness? I, I, I tend to like look at the obvious and when I can, and it feels to me like, look, to understand consciousness, we only need to put it next door to unconsciousness, which we've been talking about, because I'm receiving huge amounts of information from the world around me, a tiny fraction of which I'm conscious of. And in my psyche, there's a huge amount going on, we know, and a tiny, tiny amount I'm conscious of. So it looks to me like consciousness is a form of focusing, that the subjectivity gets focused. It's like, this is the information which we prejudice. This, this is information which matters more. And I think it's evolved because of that. So with early life, what changes with life is there's now an agenda, which is don't die. You know, I need to eat. I need not to be eaten. This doesn't exist in the world before life when it's just matter. So now there's life. So some information and each individual thing, or in this case, animal or life form at plant is receiving masses amounts of information, huge amounts. And some of it, most of it doesn't matter, but some of it really does. Like that's a predator that really matters. Uh, that's the stone that's always there. doesn't matter. And that, I think that prejudicing of information is the beginning of the evolution of consciousness so that we're now conscious of the sensory world. And then we become conscious of the processing, the way we process the information, which is the psyche. What would you say then is the point of consciousness, at least for us as human beings, because we can talk to an animal, for example, and they seem to have very instinctive responses to situations, especially it's, you know, if you look at what's governing their experience, it's mainly based on survival, procreation, and so on. But we have this, we talked a little bit about it. We have this, innate need to create which you know you don't see an animal going and you know making rock paintings <laughs> it's amazing right so like what is that point why do we have that what, what why do we have that and you know my dog doesn't yeah we we've specialized in this there's no i mean i think other other animals dogs for instance do experience psyche they dream for instance so they can create a whole imaginary world but we've specialized in it so i think what's happened is that that with the evolution of this ability to focus, the conscious world has come into existence for the first time. You've now got red and green and all the, which weren't, which only come when there's consciousness, you know, it's all, there are the potentials there, but there's no green until there's an eye to see it. And then there's a lot of green. And so everything's coming into in, in, emerging. And then when we start being conscious of the psychic processing, the way we process that information, a whole new thing. So, so from a very early stage, we find it with slime molds or plants even, they are learning, which means they are taking that information in and they are putting it within some sort of narrative. Now, they're not doing any of that consciously, but they are processing it in some way because they're learning. So what starts happening when we're conscious of that, when we can focus the attention on that, is you get a whole new thing. Like, um, 
you know, if I think about a tree, it's very different to the actual tree because the tree is there and, and the other tree is an image of the tree. So now you've got a world of images developing and that's the psyche. And then you've got Im ideas about images and then ideas about ideas about ideas and then words that represent ideas and then bang, 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 bang. And this has taken off for us on such a rate. And that's where we can not only consciously remember, we can consciously create with the imagination, which is what you're talking about. We can actually do it. So we exist primarily in that world. I mean, I, I'm, if I look around me in my office here, apart from the plant behind me and my body, everything has been through the human imagination. Everything. Every single damn thing. The lot. <laughs> so we're living now in a world of the human of, of, of the imagination. And I think it's the, the leading edge of the whole process. You know, this is where physical evolution was very slow. It took 10 billion years to get to the point where we were ready for life. Life has been much faster. The last 4 billion years, it's just gone. Once we hit psyche, wow, it is taking off like crazy. And culture is a direct result of that. And we know that our culture is changing so fast we're pretty disorientated because it's so fast now. And all the ideas that we're sharing, they're all part of that. The it's happening right as we speak, the evolution. You know, you're going to say things to me. Hopefully I'll say a few things to you. People will be listening. We are evolving the psyche or the soul right now. Mm. Um, how wonderful. And, and you said, you said that what's the point, didn't you? You said, yeah, what's, I did. the point I did. Okay. what's the point? All right. So, so let me just have one dash at that, which is, it seems to me, it, it's, not so, it's not so much that existence has a purpose. It's more that the purpose is actually integral to what this is. Because it seems that what's been going on for 14 billion years is the emergence of the realization of ever new potentials. That's what, so this happens and then this builds on it and 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 that's got us from hydrogen to the universe. So if that's what existence is, if existence is this realization of ever greater and more emergent potentials, and we are part of existence, then it feels like, well, for Rodney and Tim, the purpose of that is to realize ever more emergent potentials, but within us. And that's the other side of the, the self-knowledge. So it's not just like get to know yourself because you're fucked up and you need to understand yourself so you don't keep messing up. That's one side of it. The other side is get to know yourself because you're full of potentials. Mm. And if you get to know them, you could realize them. And then you're bringing into existence things which have never existed before. And that's all the creativity you're talking about. And that's the level that the universe is doing that on now. So there seems to be an exponential rate of imagination because you mentioned that. You said, well, you know, I'm sitting in my office right now. I look around. Pretty much everything is the creative creation of imagination, not necessarily yours, but other people. So we're living in imagination and imagination seems to be moving at an exp exponential rate. So I, I guess my thinking is, where does that lead to? Because is there going to be a singularity? Is there going to be a moment in time where it all comes to one point? I think in, in a way, I think it, it, it may. Um, I think what I think, the thing, the new thing which is happening is the movement from individuals to individuals is the name I've used because I couldn't find a name. So the idea there is a individual is an individual conscious of unity. And then when, this brings us right back to the beginning of the conversation, which is nice, because 
we were talking about how look, self-reliance, individuation doesn't preclude compassion, connection and communion. In fact, actually, I would say the opposite. It, it is the only real foundation for it. Because if you haven't individuated, you're, you're really unconsciously in the collective. If you want to consciously be one with the universe, then you need to individuate as a conscious individual first. So I think that's the movement that I see happening now is the evolution from individuals into individuals, individuals conscious of unity. And I think we've seen that in the, the amount of compassion in the, in the world, which it, it, when I put my historian's hat on is astonishing, just how much more compassion there is in the world than at any other time in history. The fact that people care about people on the other side of the planet is unheard of. You know, it's, it's amazing. And that happens a lot or care about animal species that are, may go extinct. Why would you care about a rhino? But you do. And that's, these are new things. And then underneath it, I've noticed, I mean, I've been exploring experientially with other people for 20, 30 years, the experience of oneness. And I would say when I used to go out and talk about it, most people thought it was kind of abstract and not really very relevant. Uh, but now it's not like that. Now it's like people really know what that means. And a lot of people have experienced it in some way, some significantly. It's growing. So that's a kind of a singularity because that's where the universe, which is one thing, is beginning to recognize through individuals, oh, that it's one thing. So this, in, you know, this idea of understanding unity, and as you noted, you know, a lot of people now will be able to reflect on that and acknowledge it. Is that just not a Western mindset, though? Because if we go to, say, somewhere in Africa or somewhere in the Amazon and we look at tribal people, how do they view that? How do they experience? Or is it because they've always had it and we somehow lost it and we had to come back to it? What is your feeling on that? Well, I have some experience in the Amazon, um, not masses, but I have, I have some. And my own sense provisionally, and, and I've, I've written books with, with sort of um, shamanic teachers and my own sense is, is, that they are immersed in the, the oneness of nature, particularly. Um, and that can teach us something because we have lost that. But we've lost it to gain this individuality. Um, and I think that's been overall a, a great thing. I, re I really do. So I don't see it like, oh, we fell from this great place. I think we've actually moved forward. But now we can listen to things from the past and go, okay, but let's, let's go back to that. But now consciously let's, let's have a, um, a, let's, I, I see a fundamentally mythic movement. I, I say mythic because I see it as underneath a lot of the great myths of an evolutionary process from a kind of unconscious oneness through conscious individuality to conscious oneness. And I think the whole universe has done that, but human culture is doing that as well. That makes a whole lot of sense. What would you say, though, when we look around the world right now, if we just look to the United States, there seems yeah. to be a lot of disconnection, a lot of fraction going on. There's a lot of you know, fractured people, fractured groups, all kind of siding on one position against another position, and nobody's listening to each other. Is that maybe just the tension before... You know, it's like the storm, but then when the storm clears, you've got the, you know, the wide open space, the clouds move away, the sun comes out. Is it just, is that needed to get to this point of what we're talking about? 
I don't know if it's needed, but it's certainly there. Um, and, and the whole individual thing is I see it very much like the future always is, kind of growing quietly underneath. My own, the surface is all of this. Underneath, there's this coming along. And all of these people will think, the future will be us. No, the future will be us. But I suspect the future will be neither. It'll be this other thing, which is, which is growing underneath. Um, I, I think there's two things with that, Rodney, for me. One is, it is definitely happening. And there's been an increase in it recently. But even with the increase, it's really important to have a perspective of history. You know, I mean, I, mean, I think, you know, when, in the 60s, when I was a kid, the American army went into universities and shot students. <laughs> you know, there was mass riots. There was huge, you know, in, in our country too, in the seventies. And you know, there was, this is not a new thing. And it's, and it's not only is it not new, it's a lot, a lot, it's nowhere near as bad. So although it's bad for us, historically, you know, things have got massively better on nearly every single count massively massively better not you know there's some new problems obviously but um but with the old problems so i'm a i'm a great believer that we need to stop and not just fall into that this relates to what we said before you know the herd goes oh it's worse than it's ever been it's like mm, is it i don't think it is i think it might be better than it's ever been but there's still big problems and that's a different thing because that enables you to then take a more uh, reasonable rational view and go okay so how then do we get over this latest iteration of this problem we keep going through? And, and the problem we keep going through, I think, is that we're facing, we're, tr we're trying to transcend the thing which has made us such a successful species. And that's hard. Our, 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 our success right from the beginning has been a two-sided thing. Huge cooperation within the group, massive competition outside the group. And that's what we've relied on. So, you know, love and connection, this is us, that's the other. And we will pirate from them, we will steal from them, we will take from them, whether it's nature or the, 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 our neighbors. And most human beings throughout history have done that. And then suddenly we're in a situation where we're going, we've got to stop doing that. So it's quite, that analysis, that looking back in yourself, being conscious of the psyche, there's a really big job of that going on right now. And it's challenging. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. So kind of just to, as we come to the end, let's talk about spiritual awakening. How does that, how do we place that within everything that we've been talking about up until this point? Yeah, I, I think spiritual awakening is, I mean, is the, the, the cutting edge, the leading edge, let's say, um, the, of the evolutionary process. Um, and obviously it's been around for a while, but very small groups of people, individuals. Now I think those states are available. I mean, I, I've had the luxury of traveling the world um, and being with so many people I've lost count who've experienced these deep spiritual awakenings often for the first time. So it really is, a, is, is available. And, and the key characteristics, everyone has it differently, is this profound sense of communion or oneness. And then perhaps even more important, love. Uh, that's the word I use. Other people can, may use other words, but which is the felt connection. It's not just some abstract, yes, it's all one, which is interesting, but it's a, oh, God, <laughs> this, this oceanic, it's one. Oh, my goodness. And that's profoundly transformative. So I think the, what I mean by a individual is somebody who's exploring that, who's actually developing and, and cultivating that, that profound being an individual at one with the universe. 
Um, and I and I think it is that is what's that is what is happening quietly underneath. Now, the, the, don't get me wrong. The problem is for me is I think what we need is a new spirituality to allow that to flourish. And the problem at the moment as someone who spent his whole life and written 35 books, or whatever it is on spirituality is that modern spirituality is just not up to the job. It's either it, that spirituality generally hasn't caught up with science. It hasn't evolved at the same rate. It's evolved much slower and that where it does exist in a new form, it's often highly superstitious. It, it, it's not rational enough. It's just not sharp enough. Um, and it, it needs, uh, it needs to move on. So huge amount of what I'm trying to do is say, okay, come on, let's get together and, and let's, let's show why this is so valuable by, by creating a, a, a new trans scientific spirituality by which I mean a spirituality, which transcends and includes the great insights of, of science and then brings the, the perennial insights of spirituality to it, but in a, in a 21st century form. Well, sign me up. I'm totally up for that. Sounds fantastic. <laughs> so as we come to the end, some final words of wisdom. What would you want to leave everybody with? Well, you know, when it comes down to that, Rodney, I'm, I'm always like, you know, I, I, that's where I want to go really simple. Because, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this because it was a, kind of a, an admission. I got about halfway through my book, Soul Story, and there's some, it's pretty far out philosophy. It's the most philosophical book I've ever written, my latest one. My best as well, I think. But halfway through, I thought, I've got to make this clear to folks, was that all of this philosophy, which I spend so much time trying to clearly articulate, is really a way of intellectually shoring up these really simple, almost childlike intuitions, which arise in what I call the deep awake state. In the spiritually awakened state, I just, these things seem obvious, but when I say them, they feel very naive and kind of childlike. Um, and yet they're the most important things in my life. So the, the big intellectual foundations are all like to hold it up so that now, and I'm gonna try it, when I say these things, there's, there's a feeling of, oh, there's a little bit of gravitas behind them. Um, and the phrase that I used in the book, I seem to remember, was that the intuition that arises is that despite everything, life is good. And that death is actually safe. And that what really matters is love. To learn more about the art of self-reliance, our virtual coaching service, online courses, and our retreats in Thailand, head over to Primal Skills. That's with a Z.com.